Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about something that uh, has been in the news, um, but as usual on Dr. Carol's Couch, we put the uh, news item on the couch and we analyze it, go further behind the scenes, go down and uh, really get to the roots of what's going on. And the topic today is uh, Foley, Mark Foley. Um, he and the question is pedophile, a febophile, or priest molestation victim. In a sense, as you will find out, he's a bit of everything. Um, all of these titles, and we're also going to go behind the scenes in regard to the priest um, who Mark Foley has now acknowledged um, abused him, molested him when he was an altar boy in a church in Florida. And uh, this man, who is now living in Malta, um, sort of in semi-retirement, I guess would be the best way of describing it, um, and seeing what's going on in Malta, because I actually have been in touch with... Um, I tried calling uh, Father Anthony Merciega, um, and I, he, the phone just kept ringing. He wasn't answering his phone, apparently, after he had already given his story to... Sarasota Herald Tribune and to Katie Corrick, somebody told him that um, he was just getting himself into deeper hot water. So he apparently is not doing any more interviews at this time. However, um, I do have someone as a guest who is, uh, well, certainly more enlightened than uh, the priest, and that is Mark Serrano. He is a board member of SNAP, the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. He's also a clergy abuse survivor, and as he likes to point out, he is a former staff member of the Republican Party. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thank (laughs) you for having me. You're welcome. Let's see. Where should we start? Um, There are so many places. I know. (laughs) Um, Well, I guess we should start kind of at the beginning in regard to Mark Foley, um, Sort of just to give anyone who isn't as familiar with the story kind of some background, uh, would you like to do that? You bet. Uh, it was on Friday, September 29th. Wow, you have this really down. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember it well at this point um, when the story first broke that uh, uh, that uh, Congressman Foley from Florida had resigned his position in Congress. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather unusual at any time, but especially um, only weeks out from a general election uh, for uh, the entire House of Representatives, uh, and a third of the Senate. And, um, uh, as the story, you know, rapidly expanded and unfolded, it appeared as if the congressman, uh, uh, I, I guess it was the day before actually that ABC News had run a story, um, about the congressman and email exchanges he had with teenage, uh, pages, uh, teenagers who serve as pages, uh, in the House and Senate. Um, interestingly enough, there had been a scandal regarding pages in 1983 
where two separate members of Congress um, uh, were discovered to have had uh, sexual uh, uh, interaction with teenage pages. Back in those days, uh, the pages were high school age, uh, from ninth grade through 12th, which would pretty much put them between the ages of uh, 13 and uh, 17 or 18. Uh, after the 83 scandal, in which neither member of the House who were involved uh, was was thrown out, they were simply censured, hmm. um, uh, they uh, changed the age so that it was a, sort of the second half of high school age, 16, 17-year-old, 15, 16, 17-year-old kids. Um, and so this is the first scandal since then. Um, and, uh, you know, since that time and in, in the days following, it was evident, uh, and perhaps most importantly, that uh, uh, members of the congressional leadership uh, knew months, perhaps a year, perhaps three years beforehand, uh, about Congressman Foley's interaction with Pages, uh, you know, lurid, sexually explicit emails. Some of them suggested they only saw emails that were over-friendly, quote-unquote, uh, but then, you know, soon more pages came forward and shared email exchanges uh, that they had had with the congressman that were uh, clearly uh, displayed signs of a sexual predator um, uh, on the hunt, uh, luring victims in. Yes, and wasn't there, I read one account um, of a victim who was out of the PAGE program by then who actually spoke of having had a, a sexual encounter with Foley. Right, and that's uh, very interesting uh, because on uh, uh, that weekend, Congressman Foley checked into rehab. Uh, his attorney uh, held a number of press conferences. I believe it was that Monday uh, after uh, in which he said um, uh, the congressman is gay, the congressman uh, was a, a victim of sexual abuse between the ages of uh, 13 to 15 um, by uh, a clergyman, and he said uh, that the congressman has never had sexual contact with a minor. Well, my immediate question uh, at that point was, uh, okay, fine, if that's true, did the congressman ever have sexual contact with someone who had been a page? Who might be of the legal mm-hmm. age of consent or 18, etc. Because there is a power. Obviously, as you know, there would be an authority. He would be an authority figure in the life of that former page, uh, using that power relationship to gain access for for sexual assault. Yes, exactly. And even though the, the page may no longer be in the program at that point. Um, still, uh, Foley, just like other congressmen, would be someone that the page would have looked up to, which is why they became pages in the first place, and um, and would still have that godlike, you know, just like priests, godlike quality, uh, powerful authority figure quality that would still that he would still want to get close to, and uh, the perpetrator, whether it's Foley or, or a priest, is then able to continue to use that esteem and awe to um, to convince the victim that it's okay that this is or brotherly love as the priest in Reverend in 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 uh, Mark Foley's case is concerned and um, you, you know but you mentioned about the age of consent which I think is that's one of the things that I think is very interesting too that apparently in Washington DC the age of consent is 16 and some of these pages who got the emails um, were 16 and you know it it certainly reflects a whole other issue which is that 
uh, the 16 seems to me to be too young, you know, as a psychiatrist. People may be, people are obviously ready physically to have sex, but they are certainly not ready right. psychologically. Right. Um, whether it's, you know, sex with someone else who's 16 or, or certainly, I mean, there's no time when it's psychologically healthy to be exploited by someone right. in a position of power. Right. But, you know, you kind of got to have to scratch your head and say, well, maybe it shouldn't be 16. You know, not that, not that it's okay because it's 16, because the page was 16, these, the pages were 16, so it's okay, but rather maybe you should be changing your law. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more because on top of that, I mean, aside from the emotional wherewithal of teenagers, uh, you know, they certainly uh, don't carry the responsibility they're not able to meet the responsibility that possible consequences to sex right. could lead to. Um, if you take a look at, at you know, a 16-, 17-year-old in your life and imagine them walking the halls of Congress with the most powerful men and women in the country, uh, boy, that would be a very heady experience. That would be uh, probably overwhelming and, um, I think, easy prey for a would-be predator uh, yeah. to target them. Uh, and, I, you know, I, for one... Uh, in an op-ed uh, that I wrote right after uh, the initial uh, uh, disclosure of the scandal, not only said that uh, that congressional leadership who knew should be held accountable, uh, but that, you know, if this is what teenagers could be subject to on the Hill, there should be no page program. You know, why, you know, why do we have a, a page program where they could be subject to this uh, sort of victimization? Um, or why is it we can't have a page program for 18, 19, 20-year-olds? We certainly could be uh, uh, subject to victimization, but you know, nonetheless, they're they're adults at that point. Uh, I just don't. It it just strikes me as odd that we have to put uh, kids in the midst of the most powerful men and women in the country when this is what could result. Particularly if we now see a track record where uh, congressional leaders <laughs> de- decided to take absolutely no action when their first instinct, when they learned that there was a potential sexual predator in their midst, which should have been to call the cops. Yes, but I agree with you about uh, about this age of consent. I know in some jurisdictions they have an age of consent, but then they also have there has to be a certain gap uh, in terms of the number of years that, like a sixteen year old, you know, can't be with anyone who's uh, who's uh, um, yes, you know, less than seven, less than eighteen or nineteen, uh, or or can only be within someone within a certain age range, right. two or three years older than them. Uh, but yeah, I think I think <laughs> clearly. Uh, why is it the government's place to say it's okay for 16-year-olds to, to have sex? <laughs> yeah. And what's that? what is that founded on? I think clearly those are probably outdated standards that need to be examined. Yes, yes, absolutely. When people used to get married, when people didn't live as long and got married younger and, and all exactly. of that. Exactly, Yes. Well, you know, um, when we come back, I would like you to uh, share um, with us your own personal story about um, your having been a clergy abuse survivor so that uh, I think people can understand some of the, just how serious this is. So when we come back, we will be talking with my guest, Mark Serrano, and um, you'll understand on a more personal level that this is really something that leaves lasting scars, and certainly as a psychiatrist who treats um, a lot of patients who have been abused by clergy. Um, I certainly can attest to that as well. People who are still years and years later uh, feeling the pain, the emotional pain as, as directly as if it had been the day before. 
So stay tuned. Again, my guest is Mark Serrano from SNAP, the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on voiceamerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on voiceamerica.com. At least 90% of sports success requires mental strength. And the greater the competitive level, the more critical it becomes to build that mental muscle. Tune into Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Jim Meyer, sports psychology coach, consultant, and author, offers practical, powerful, and positive mental game, tools, tips, and techniques. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental game with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! 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 <laughs> See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at one 866 472-5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're putting uh, con- former Congressman Mark Foley and um, Father uh, Merciega. I don't know that I'm pronouncing. Do you know? I'm not sure that I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's good enough for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, Father Anthony Merciaca, um, of Malta, uh, on the couch. And of course that was sort of the problem that got them into this uh, situation to begin with. But we're putting them on the analytic couch today and going behind the scenes with my guest, Mark Serrano, a board member of SNAP and also a clergy abuse survivor. And I think before we sort of get more into, um, the current situation with Mark Foley and the priest, um, why don't we give people who really haven't had the opportunity, as I have, 
um, to feel the pain of um, because I mean it is it's very I I got involved in treating um, survivors of priest abuse through the work that I do as a forensic psychiatrist and so I'm involved in some cases um, against priests and against the Catholic Archdiocese in Los Angeles um, put, put uh, brought by these victims. And so I have been treating these victims um, while the case has been slowly crawling through the courts. And it is, I must say, it is, it is heart-wrenching for me and, um, and doesn't um, fail to surprise me just how, even after talking about this week after week with these patients, that the pain is just so raw and so profound and um, the impact on people's lives. And, of course, this, you know, this is in regard to priest abuse, but, of course, this is the case with sexual abuse of any type. But I guess, you know, there are certain things that make it uh, more unique uh, when it's abused by a priest um, because it's tied up with, with religion and with, I mean, it's always with trust. And if it's a father, of course, it's a father's trust. And, I mean, you know, there are these kinds of issues, but... Um, what's sad is that, um, and maybe this is the case for you too, but one of the things that's sad is that, um, like for example, one of the patients that I'm thinking of had wanted to be a priest and um, was very involved as an altar boy and, and just totally was in awe of the priest and wanted to be like him. And and then, of course, it got totally disillusioned and, and his life destroyed by what the priest did to him. So I, I think it's hard sometimes, I'm sure you must find this, that it's hard for people to understand who aren't therapists um, or who haven't had the experience themselves just how these kinds of experiences can impact a person's whole life. You know, like the priest said in this case, I don't know why he's still bringing this up after 40 years. Absolutely, Carol, and that, and that is a, a challenge to articulate uh, in a meaningful uh, yes. way that will characterize uh, the pain and trauma that uh, that survivors carry with them, um, and, and I guess the best way to attempt to do that is to to help people understand, for instance, uh, the, the culture within which this could happen. Whereas in the, in the Catholic culture, uh, you know, a priest is revered, uh, and you know, he's he's uh, uh, he's something you know close to God and someone who. You know, children are taught uh, is to be revered and respected and and uh, treated almost godlike, and that's a boy that 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 lays down groundwork for a in the case of a perpetrator um, that really positions him very effectively, even to the point where I believe many um, many perpetrators uh, have become priests to gain access to victims, mm-hmm. um, and and not the other way around, um, and uh, uh, you know. It enables the perpetrator in that case to to create a, a bond of secrecy uh, with the victim. Uh, and I guess the other way to try to articulate and describe it to people is help them understand that if you look at you know a uh, a child in your life today, really of any age, uh, and consider how God forbid you know they would react in that circumstance with someone in an authority position uh, who's gained access to them in private settings. Um, and where there is uh, certainly we've learned enough in the, just in the last couple of years about how the, the extent to which perpetrators will go. You take a look at the Dateline special uh, on uh, NBC uh, mm-hmm. called called Catch a Predator, uh, 
right. and the ways in which they, you know, were able to, to interact online. And, you know, in, in, in Northern Virginia, you know, over a two-day period, 19 men showed up, professionals, doctors, lawyers, um, teachers, who showed up thinking they were going to have sex with a 15-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and, and then, you know, the, I think that's the first act of a perpetrator, and certainly was my experience, where my perpetrator, uh, Father James Hanley, who lives in Patterson, New Jersey today, has never served a day in jail, despite the fact that he admitted to having uh, at least a dozen victims, and we have 25 who've come forward since 2002. Um, and um, uh, uh, so, I mean, on, in court records, this is a priest who acknowledged uh, abusing at least a dozen. So he's on the record uh, in a sworn court statement that he's an admitted child molester. Um, and he would, you know, when I was a kid, starting at the age of nine years old, he really methodically sought to build that bond of secrecy and to build a wedge between my parents and me, you know, unbeknownst to me. And and like a like a mad scientist, he was able to strip me of my natural instincts that would have would have uh, triggered me to to flee or seek for help, could seek you, out help. Could you uh, describe that a little more? Sure. I mean, uh, in in uh, in in his rectory, uh, in settings after school, uh, there would be other kids there, and uh, he would, he would joke around like a kid, and he would um, use pornography as a very key tool in uh, pre-sexualizing the minds of us kids. Uh, introducing, I mean, we were just a bunch of Catholic school kids, uh, as as innocent as as ever as as a child can be, and um, Father Hanley would use pornography to. Uh, to introduce the topic and then gain access to me in private settings, uh, talk to me about my family and my parents, and and uh, you know shower me with praise and gifts, uh, and really captured uh, my mind before he was able to capture my body. Um, and um, uh, so by the time he started perpetrating sexual assault, which was a very, in my case, a very methodical process, uh, gradually increasing the, the stages of molestation, um, uh, and what most people who haven't experienced it or aren't therapists don't realize is it literally changes the brain chemistry of, of, of child victims. Uh, the, their brain chemistry is altered because it's such an overwhelming experience to be uh, experience this sort of trauma, encounter this sort of trauma, and not uh, be empowered in any way whatsoever to seek help. Uh, it, it is a, it's fascinating how cunning and guile and um, uh, deceptive that my perpetrator wearing the collar of a Roman Catholic priest was. Um, and as we've learned since 2002 and before, you know, he, he did it just like thousands of other priests did it with the help of his bishop looking the other way. Well, how long did this go on? Uh, and the last assault was when I was the age of 16. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, all, uh, all, you know, have, after having captured my uh, bond of secrecy and my silence. Well, how, yes, that's what I was going to say. When did you, why, when did you tell someone, why didn't you do it before? How did he do that? Right. I mean, you know, it was, uh, uh, it was very manipulative, uh, and very controlled. But he, uh, it was almost like brainwashing where he was able to instruct me, this is our secret. No one else would understand. This is just very special between us. Uh, and I didn't even know what sex was. So, uh, you know, he was introducing concepts to me as traumatic as they were. I didn't know anything about them. And so when your entire community and support system says, this man above all 
in our community rises the highest. Mm-hmm. He is he is the highest. He is the closest to God, and he is saying in mm-hmm. return, "This is strictly between us." Well, who on earth would question that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a child certainly does not have the capability to do so. As traumatic as the experiences are, you know, you're, you're dealing with a very skillful hunter. And a child uh, with a child's mind can't possibly defend against that. Um, and so I um, uh, was of, some victims take decades, if ever, to confront the abuse in their life and the effect that it's had on them, causing, you know, creating uh, addictive behaviors and suicidal tendencies for mm-hmm. some victims. Um, uh, I actually was able to to sort of uh, recognize uh, and realize that what I call my revelation about the abuse when I was 20 years old and went to my bishop for help, which was my first mistake. I should have called the cops, just like the mm. congressional leadership about Mark Foley. I should have, first thing I should have done, unfortunately, I was just a, a young 20 years old. I was a Catholic kid going to, you know, a Catholic university, and everybody I turned to, unfortunately, was in the same culture I grew mm. up in. And their answer was, well, go to the bishop. Well, you know, unfortunately... What I didn't realize was he was in on it. You know, he, he knew. And um, uh, so certainly I was going to, uh, uh, I was going to, the, to the mob boss to, to deal with one of his mobsters mm-hmm. and didn't realize it. Uh, but that's the truth of the matter. Well, now, what, um, you know, of course, this is, this is so important because I have been trying to urge, and I'm sure you have too, people... Um, well, anyone who's been sexually abused by anyone should certainly be urged to tell their doctor, tell their parent, um, right. tell the police. But um, in this particular case, um, it is so important for people to come forward since there is, it is very unusual for a priest to have only abused one child. And it seems much, it seems very likely that in Florida, in, you know, in the various parishes that the priest was in Florida and, um, uh, wherever else he um, Washington also New York was it? Yes, I believe so. Um, and even in Malta, I'm sure you know in Malta as well right. Right. to come forward. Um, and so I, I, I think it would be helpful if you could talk about um, before we go be at what happened on before we go on to what happened after you told the bishop. Um, what happened that gave you the courage at 20 years old or the revelation to tell anyone? Well, I, I, uh, the same reason that most victims come forward is concern for other kids. When I realized uh, reading a newspaper article in USA Today in 1985, in November of 1985, about the first priest who was uh, criminally prosecuted in America, Gilbert Gothe, down in Louisiana, uh, that was my revelation. I realized, wow, you know, I didn't, I couldn't label it. I couldn't put a name to it. But that moment, I realized I was a victim of sexual abuse. Mm. And my immediate fear was not that I had been harmed, but that kids were being harmed at that moment. And that's typically the motivation of, of victims to come forward, is they're, they're, they realize, you know, with, once they see through the struggle of their life, they realize that other kids are at risk if they themselves don't muster up the strength to come forward, which is a, it, it takes great courage to do so. And it wasn't really until 2002 uh, that I came forward uh, with a New York Times article uh, early in the Catholic abuse uh, uh, crisis that they were that they created for themselves, the church leadership, um, that I spoke out publicly, and then two dozen other victims of my perpetrator came forward. 
And so, well, wait. But going okay. So going back to your bishop, right? Um, he was in on it, so he didn't really do anything. He, for a year, refused to take my uh, perpetrator out of ministry, where he was serving around kids. And so, then what did you do? Uh, then I sued him, as as the only recourse I felt I could take at that at that point. But this was, I mean, how did we get from you sued him in nineteen in when? I sued him in in, in 1985, 86. And uh, unfortunately, settled the lawsuit at the advice of my attorneys and agreed to a confidentiality agreement, basically mm-hmm. effectively turning the key and the lock of my own cage of silence. Mm-hmm. And so for 17 years thereafter, I was required and agreed to be silent about my abuse, and that was the absolute worst thing yeah. I could have done. That's when my suffering began. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> And we'll have to suffer through this break to uh, <laughs> to hear the rest of the story. My guest today is Mark Serrano. Um, he is a board member of SNAP, the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. We will return to his um, painful and courageous story uh, when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking about Mark Foley, uh, his his. Uh, Becoming a sexual predator towards pages and his having been sexually molested himself by Reverend Anthony Marciega. So stay tuned. The Internet's premier talk radio station, VoiceAmerica.com. wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood jet set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Travera Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. The woman MVP who sets you free with host, entrepreneur, author, motivational speaker, corporate executive, philanthropist, wife, and mother, Luann Mitchell-Halter, is an exciting and provocative look at the real world with real exciting guests and real stories of triumph and professionalism with a dash of spice sharing recipes for a better world on all the playing fields of life. Join Luann Mitchell-Halter as she and her guests uncover and expose us to our abilities to create our very own Big League MVP, My Victory Plan, Potential for Greatness. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free with Luann Mitchell-Halter broadcast each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. The Woman MVP Who Sets You Free. It's time to get off the bleachers, play the game of life, and be the MVP. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. 
So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're talking about uh, priest sexual abuse, Mark Foley, the Sort of dethroned congressman who uh, alleged that um, his that his abuse his well his I guess he hasn't gotten to the point of admitting abuse yet but his I mean it is a form of abuse certainly his uh, sexually seductive emails and this question of whether he actually engaged in sexual relations uh, with pages after they were no longer pages and the emails during the time they were pages um, and his having acknowledged that um, he was sexually molested by a priest when he was approximately 13 to 15, uh, a teenager, the same age of children that he has been going after. And I'll explain a little bit more about that, but let's get back to my guest, Mark Serrano, a board member of SNAP, the Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests, and he was telling us of his uh, courageous road to acknowledging that he himself was um, sexually abused by a priest and um, you was, before the break, you were talking about how you sued this priest in uh, 85 and 86 and then had to agree to, um, and of course that was really early on, that was before there was this whole onslaught of cases against priests. Right. So, um, so you agreed to, with the advice of your lawyer, keeping silent for, for 17, it was a specific amount of time? No, no, it was in perpetuity, but it was 17 years later when I decided after I had hired private investigators to track down my perpetrator, after I had uh, uh, you know, sought to expose him um, you know, publicly before then, I finally decided, you know what, uh, my bishop in the church has not done the right thing. They've not exposed his crimes to protect children, and it's time that I did. So you mean when you sued him, um, he wasn't, how did that, how did you manage to do that without him being exposed? Uh, well, because I remember I didn't call the police, and uh, so uh, I oh. filed a civil suit. Um, and by agreeing to the confidentiality, uh, there, there really was no court record that could have properly exposed him. I see. And so it was clearly, settled out of court quietly. Correct. Correct. And clearly, to, had I the opportunity to change what I did at the age of twenty-three, uh, I certainly would have taken a totally different course. But God had His hand in it, and, and ultimately empowered me to uh, speak out, um, and uh, when I did so, 25 other victims came forward um, and courageously told their story. And, I, you know, I, I can't believe what I did wasn't courageous because I just did what was right. I mean, you know, we've got to protect kids from perpetrators like this, especially if they've evaded criminal prosecution like Congressman Foley's perpetrator. Well, um when you so what were you risking when you did come forward i guess in the 2002 new york times article um when you did expose him what were you risking in terms of did you have to give the money back or what what was the risk well the, the greatest risk if i hadn't spoken out were the, the, the safety of children right if uh, by speaking out the greatest risk to me 
was uh, court action on the part of the church to uh, uh, for a breach of agreement. Mm. Uh, and uh, boy, if there ever was a, an agreement to break, that was the one to break. Mm-hmm. Um, and the court, the church would have had to have proven. My bishop would have had to have proven that I caused him damage uh, by breaking the agreement. And I think at that point, uh, the bishop would have found a, a very difficult time proving uh-huh. damage that he didn't cause to himself. Uh-huh. So now why is it, you mentioned before, that even though these 25 additional victims came forward, why is he not in jail? Was he, was he charged? Was he tried? Never. Uh, the criminal statute of limitations uh, at, at that time... Uh, was such that he had to come forward by the age of, uh, oh, I think 20 or 21. And uh, no one who came forward uh, met that standard. And uh, so there's this arbitrary time limit under the law, which most states by now have changed, uh, but they did not grandfather uh, the changes. That, that uh, The changes only went into effect when the new laws went into effect. Largely, those took place in the mid to late 90s. Uh, and so anyone victimized back then has no recourse to justice. And uh, and so you've got perpetrators, many from the Catholic Church, uh, priests, who are out uh, in our communities and who represent a grave uh, public safety risk. Um, and so uh, Father Hanley, James Hanley, lives in Patterson, New Jersey, 70 years old. We discovered that he moved earlier this year, and a group of us showed up in his neighborhood on a Sunday. Uh, we leafleted the neighborhood. The neighbors were thrilled that we were there to give them the kind of information that my parents didn't have the benefit of. And we had uh, uh, we had media crews there, and uh, Father Hanley decided to come out to confront us because he didn't like what we were saying. Um, and it was an extraordinary exchange where he was blaming us for his plight in life. Mm. Um, and and you know, uh, his comments uh, talking about his illness, his alcoholism, uh, being bipolar, uh, all these excuses that perpetrators make uh, echoed. When Father uh, Marquesa, or whatever what his name is, Father Mark Foley's perpetrator, spoke to the news media uh, media last week. Yes, yes, I and he is. was he was ill. Uh, he was taking pills. All the classic uh, excuses that perpetrators make because they're so effective at transferring guilt to others. Yes, and and he didn't know that Mark Foley didn't like it. If he had known, he would have stopped. I mean, that's always a classic one. I, yes. I thought that the children liked it. Yes. Exactly, and, and uh, completely disregarding the, the power dynamic that a priest would have uh, over his victim. Just like Congressman Foley, years later, chose to have over his victims. And I think the story is not fully told there. I think there may be many others who will come forward. Yes. Yes, it's kind of ironic that right now um, there are uh, helplines um, or report lines for both Mark Foley and Mark and and the priest. Indeed. Um, and hopefully, as I, I I can't say it enough times, if there's anyone who is listening, um, who is a victim of either of these men or someone else, um, even if it's your own father, um, you have to come forward and tell someone that you trust, a doctor, the police, uh, a if it isn't a priest, then then perhaps your um, um, religious leader. Uh, but someone that you trust and to acknowledge this. I mean, some of the things, because, because as, as you were saying, um, you know, the, some of the symptoms or, or psychological problems that can come from this are, are just range from uh, anxiety disorders, depression, suicide, substance abuse, um, certainly feelings of, of shame and helplessness and, and sexual problems. And yep. I mean, there's a whole list. 
And um, really the first step in, in trying to um, prevent the problems or cure the problems is to acknowledge who it is. I mean, there's also, of course, for, for young men or boys, there's always the extra burden of being afraid, if the perpetrator was a male, um, of, of acknowledging this because for, for these people who aren't gay or who, um, uh, who don't feel comfortable acknowledging that, that maybe they have homosexual feelings or whatever, there, there's always the fear that people will think that they are gay because they were abused by a man. I mean, that must have been something when you were 20 years old that, that gave you pause to wonder what other people were going to think about well, that. It, it, it didn't me, but, but I will say, though, that uh, what, what is uh, so wrong-headed about the, those uh, misimpressions that people have is that there is no, what, virtually no relationship whatsoever between uh, consensual sex between you know, two grown adults, be they the same sex or not, and criminal actions, sexual criminal assault against children. There is just such a huge right. divide between those two things. There's just it shouldn't be even discussed in the same context. Um, and because you know, sexual assault against a child is an act of power anyway. Yeah. Uh, it really is not a sexual act, although that's how it's conveyed. Um, and I, I think what's you know what, what is uh, tragic about the Foley case is the same thing that's tragic about the the uh, clergy abuse cases in the Catholic Church. Is Catholic bishops had a chance to do the right thing and chose not to. And congressional leaders, unfortunately, knew yeah. enough to at least be able to, to call the police and, and look into it further. Um, Mark Foley, for, for his case, made a choice that is very, very rare for a victim of, of sexual abuse, which is to, you know, to harm someone else that way. You know, most victims of abuse are more inclined to harm themselves. Uh, tragically, uh, they, they most wouldn't even harm their own perpetrator, but they, um, uh, they would tend to inflict harm on themselves. But it's extremely rare that a victim would actually victimize a child when they grow up, like Mark Foley did. Well, um, I mean, except for the fact that that it sort of depends upon whether people have gotten help for themselves or not and insight into this. I mean, what Mark Foley was doing um, was acting out what had been done to him. And, yes, that that, that isn't a, a, an absolute... Um, behavior that always comes when one is abused, but sometimes, most often, people should be getting psychiatric help anyway, and part of that is to get insight into it. Well, we'll talk more about this when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Mark Serrano from SNAP, and we'll be talking more about uh, Mark Foley and his priest and this... uh, awful victimization that has been allowed to continue and been hidden, um, as Mark said, by both congressmen and by the Catholic Church. So stay tuned. The Authority and Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, echopreneur, author, and green living maven, brings you an upbeat, fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life. Kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily. From hip organic weddings to exotic echo travel to healthy personal care products, get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, broadcast each Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. 
p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel, Living the Green Life, for a human, healthy, and planet-friendly lifestyle. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney broadcasts each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts, Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest winemakers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where Women and Wine Angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women in Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women in Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show... Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch as we head into our final uh, session, <laughs> final portion of the show, which kind of has gone by so quickly. There's so much more to talk about uh, in regard to this. It's so important. It's just, you know, the numbers, not just, uh, I mean, we're sort of discovering how many priests have been doing this and are still doing this, even though, you know, you would think with all this attention that it would make priests stop, and it probably has given some pause, but this whole problem has certainly not stopped. And um, and it's a very, it's just a growing problem in terms of sexual abuse um, by 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 perpetrators of, of whatever type, you know, of various types. It's, it's just an incredibly, and I have all theory on that, but we don't really have time to go into that today, but I did want to, uh, as to why it's increasing, but we did want, I did want to talk about a few things that I had brought up at the beginning. First of all, this question of pedophilia versus aphebophilia. Aphebophilia is technically, uh, post-pubescent adolescence. In other words, teenagers, as compared to pedophilia, which is, by definition, um, 13 and younger. But the truth is that there really is no distinction. I mean, other, the age is not the important factor here because the important factor is uh, the power differential. And certainly when you have a priest who is a godlike figure and a congressman who is a godlike figure um, and they use their, their status to manipulate their victims 
to um, be in awe of them, to believe them, to keep it secret, all of that, uh, it really comes down to the same thing. It is still sexual abuse regardless of the age. So that distinction that his that Foley's lawyer was trying to make, um, I don't think he used the word of people but he was trying to say that Foley wasn't a pedophile, and that's just not true. Um, I also wanted to quickly mention uh, something else that's typical in these cases and that just makes the situation worse. Uh, in Foley's case, apparently his mother refused to believe that this priest who the family had, the whole family had been in awe of, and that's usually the case as well. Um, the mother refused to believe that this priest had, could have molested her son. And that so often happens, and it's a combination of not wanting to lose faith in their priest, not wanting to lose faith in their religion, but also not wanting to acknowledge their own uh, guilt and responsibility in not protecting their child more. You know, they feel guilty that they didn't realize what was going on and that they put the child in harm's way, encouraged the child to be close to the priest, because in most churches that's that's a, an honor that... Um, that the priest would choose your child to be the one or one of a few who he uh, has as his special friends. So it's very hard for parents to acknowledge that they, you know, should have been better parents or should have been more observant or shouldn't have just accepted um, what was going on because the person was a priest. And that just makes the whole trauma to the child, um, which lasts, even worse, knowing that... Uh, I have patients talk to me about that all the time, you know, how angry they are at their parents for not having been more aware and stepped in. So go ahead, Mark. Carol, that was very, very, very well said. And the missed opportunity there for parents of adult survivors who've come forward is that they actually have a renewed opportunity to create a safe environment for their child Mm -hmm. who's now an adult, Uh, that they, they failed to do that when they were a child. Usually out of no fault of their own, uh, other than uh, sort of, you know, blind faith uh, in in, uh, in the case of, of Catholic priest perpetrators. Um, but usually, you know, what parent would, you know, it's it's a rare parent who would, who would ever knowingly set their child up for that, although it certainly happens. Uh, but most uh, parents of victims uh, were unwittingly duped by the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And yet, today, if they're... A uh, child comes forward as an adult and says, this happened to me. What they don't recognize because, of, as you said, their own guilt and and, uh, uh, and perhaps in some cases culpability, um, that they have a wonderful new opportunity to support their child, to create a safe haven environment in which they can uh, uh, enter the recovery process. Uh, and that's, uh, you know, there's, there's always, always hope uh, for that. And for those folks uh, who struggle, with coming forward with cases of abuse and recognize, especially where a perpetrator should could still be active with victims, you know there are resources. Uh, for instance, with SNAP, uh, our group, uh, folks are welcome to come forward uh, through our website, snapnetwork.org, S-N-A-P, network.org, um, and uh, there are resources there and referral services, uh, and you know we are there as a self-help uh, empowerment organization to encourage people to find the right answers for their life. And can someone um, go on to the uh, – does someone I – mean, I think probably people might be afraid they'd have to give their name, but you don't have to do that when you email. No, no, not at all. Not at all. If they, if they would prefer to remain anonymous uh, and unidentified, that's 
perfectly fine. And many people encounter that because of the, the impact that the disclosure would have in their life today. Mm-hmm. And family dynamics and, and perhaps their own position uh, in society, professionally or otherwise. Uh, and that's fine because that, you know, I tell uh, victims who contact me and, and are just approaching this in their life that, you know, we could not control what happened to us when we were kids. And so as you well know, Carol, that the control issues are phenomenal for, for survivors, mm-hmm. uh, controlling our environment, our setting, our relationships. Uh, we feel out of control uh, usually. And so uh, uh, now as approaching the healing process as a, as a survivor, an adult survivor, the, the, the most important key is doing so in a way that where we can feel in control of that process. Mm-hmm. And I must say, I, I really would encourage anyone who has been abused by a priest, SNAP is... You know, I've been talking about going to your doctor, going to the police, and so on. But SNAP is a wonderful, wonderful resource. My patients uh, belong to SNAP. They've gotten tremendous support, um, emotional support, uh, just people becoming, you know, doing favors for one another, being there, just being on the other end of a phone, um, doing all kinds of um, activities, you know, protesting at churches. And um, you don't have to do that. You can be totally... Um, low-key, but just to know that there are other people who had a similar situation to yours is just so healing in itself. And um, there, there is anonymity if that's what you want. Um, and it, it certainly, you know, is a good place to start if if you're thinking about uh, acknowledging your abuse. Or, or a lot of people are sometimes, you know, because of the dreamlike state that a victim is often in because of the trauma of it, um, sometimes victims are, are even not sure whether it really happened to them. And um, going to an organization like SNAP and hearing other people tell similar stories, you, you sort of recognize um, similar patterns that would have happened to you, and it makes you realize that you're not going crazy. In fact, uh, this is what the perpetrator wanted you to feel. It's just a, a manipulation um, all created by the perpetrator and that really... Uh, you know, it's not you, and there are other people who understand this experience. Well said, Carol. And, and the other thing that we do, too, is we advocate for revising our laws so that way not only perpetrators like Congressman Foley and his priest can be held more accountable, but whether it's a Catholic bishop or a school principal or a leader in Congress can be held accountable under the law when they look the other way, knowing that children could still be at risk that our laws must hold accountable institutions, whether it be the Catholic Church or the U.S. Congress, uh, when its leaders choose and elect not to do more to protect children, despite the fact that they've got full knowledge uh, that children could be at risk. Yes, and that that actually reminds me of a question I wanted to ask you. Um, Father James Hanley, your perpetrator, is... um, Okay, so now he's announced to the media and and to the world when you did that, um, but... Is there any? He's not a priest anymore, is he? He's not. He was removed from from the priesthood. Okay. Well, that's Correct. at least some satisfaction. But, yes. And I, and I but, guess. But indeed, I'm sorry, Carol. But indeed, back in January, when we reached his neighborhood, we met a neighbor of his who had just hosted him for dinner, hmm. where he brought balloons to the young boys in that family. So at the age of seventy, he was still trying to find new victims. Yes. Yes. The typical kind of. Um, uh, get them to love him, kind of. <laughs> and, he's, and he's still out there and a risk to to community. Yes, and the and the truth is that unless perpetrators get get and sometimes 
sometimes almost it's, impo- it's almost impossible to cure them, but um, in some cases at least, if perpetrators get intensive therapy for a long time, sometimes medication, they can at least stop perpetrating this. But otherwise, you have to assume that these people are still dangerous. Right. And that would go for uh, Reverend Anthony Murciega in Malta as well. Right. So, um, well, thank you very much, Mark Serrano, uh, for sharing your story with us and certainly your very insightful and experienced comments. And, and I congratulate you uh, and appreciate um, the courage that it took for you to come forward and do all the things that you did to try to make sure that your perpetrator wouldn't be able to make um, future victims. Thank you, Carol. Thanks for having me. You're and, welcome. And thanks for the work you do to make children safer. Thank you. And let me give out that um, website again to go to. It's snapnetwork.org. S-N-A-P, that stands for Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. Snapnetwork.org. Please go to that website. Um, maybe you'll recognize things if you haven't been abused. Maybe you'll recognize some information on there that might be helpful for somebody you know um, and you can convey the information to them and we really do have to make these people accountable whether they're priests or congressmen or the neighbor next door uh, to stop this from happening because it really is devastating so thank you again uh, Mark Serrano the board member of SNAP and thank you all for listening and uh, trying to do something about I hope you will about this uh, this really devastating kind of uh, situation that's still going on. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 